Would you open God's precious holy word to Ephesians chapter four and today we will be in the first six verses. It turns out this is in my view a very appropriate first Sunday of the year passage of scripture for Christians to consider. The first three chapters, I hope you will remember, were used to teach us our position in Christ. Who we are in Christ cannot be changed. God has fixed it from before the foundation of the world. That was taught to us in the first three chapters of Ephesians. The Father has positioned us in Christ. We have great riches and honor that he has given to us in Christ before there was ever anything. But now we come to the second half of Ephesians. We have to be taught before we can act. We're given great theology, great doctrine, great teaching in the first three chapters. That was the teaching. Now comes the action. The last three chapters are practical for us. How shall we live? This is who we are, first three chapters. God did that. And now we've been taught what God has done for, done for us. So now how shall we live? The rest of Ephesians teaches us how we should live as Christians. Nothing can change our position in Christ. That's an eternal thing. But now we are moved upon to walk in this world in a way that displays Christ before this world. So I want to bring you a message that I call walk worthy and stand in unity. We'll look at it together. Paul now continues in chapter four in the first verse. Therefore, I beg you, the prisoner in the Lord. In practically all of his letters, Paul invites the readers to consider his life. Paul lived the way he encouraged and taught other Christians to live. It's not as though he was telling us to do something or to act in a certain way that he hadn't already walked in or sought to accomplish and did a good job of it in his life. It led him to prison. He write, This is one of the prison epistles, as you will recall, and he writes this from prison. It says, though, now he's, this is the second time he said this. He's reminding the saints that he's in prison for, live, for living the way that he's about to encourage them to live. 
The world has a hard time with what the Bible teaches, especially in the New Testament to the church. Therefore, I beg you, the prisoner in the Lord, to walk worthy. Now that word, to walk, is peripatesi. Uh, it means your course of life. It means your daily walk. This is, this, is, this is the way you should live. And the way that you should live is a way that should be worthy. A worthy walk. Axios. A worthy walk. To walk in it. From the time that you get up until the time that you go to bed, all that you do, now that you know your position in Christ, now that you've been taught who you are, here's how you should live. Now, the question then would come naturally, okay, what is my daily course of life? How shall my daily walk be? So then follows these five progressive attributes of a Christian. There are five of them. One is built on the next one, so they are, they are progressive. So he says, walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Let me rest on that for just a moment. You will not be called to Christ several times in your life to be saved. Your salvation, and we've learned this in Ephesians 1, moving into Ephesians 2, your salvation was something that was fixed by the Father as a gift to the Son before anything ever was, before the foundation of the world, before the blueprint was written. Specifically, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ because the Father gave you to the Son before there was even a world to walk on. It's a difficult thing for human pride to swallow. Are you telling me I had absolutely nothing to do with my salvation? That's what I'm telling you. That's what the Bible tells you. It doesn't matter what I say. That is written into this phrase, of the calling to which you were called. Okay, so here, to which you were called. Ecclesiastes. That's in the aorist tense. That's a Greek thing. You don't see that aorist thing in the Greek, in the English language. But what it means is, bang, it happened one time. It's fixed. It happens one time and it doesn't have to happen again. It is, it is done. It happened. You, it won't unhappen. <laughs> you won't be uncalled. So here is a gift the Father gives to the Son before the foundation of the world. Now comes the foundation of the world. Now comes the world. 
Now comes along those of us who are in Christ across the due course of time. And in time and space, what God had determined in eternity that he would do for the Son and give to the Son, God causes to happen. So at a certain point in your life, you were called. God called you to salvation. This is what he's teaching the saints again. Having already taught them these things in the first three chapters, he reiterates it. The calling to which you were called. Now this isn't a calling to preach or be a missionary. This is a calling into your understanding of the reality of your election in Christ. And it only happened once because it doesn't have to happen over and over. God has determined this from before the foundation of the world. So walk worthy, walk worthy in the state that God has made really to be an eternal state for you. Now that God has done this and you understand what God has done for you and the, and the profound position that you have in Christ that God has arranged from before the foundation of the world. Now that this is you, walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Now you'll note these five things, there's not any of them are works related. It's, it's not, there's not a, there's not anything here that you are to do physically a work. You know, you've got to bang your head 10 times on the altar every Sunday. You've, you, you've, you know, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. There's nothing there. These are characteristics. These are attributes. They are there and they're to be outflowing already there by the presence of the spirit because it is the spirit. Paul taught us earlier in Ephesians who is deposited in our lives and now works in our lives as the power in our lives. And these things ought to be who we are every day, all the time. This is how you walk worthy of who you are positioned in Christ. Here goes the list. Number one, with all lowliness. Metapases with all. All. Lowliness. Some translations may say humility. With all lowliness, all. It doesn't just say with lowliness, it says with all lowliness. That's everything. Now, the goal of this whole thing is unity in the church. A unified church is an unstoppable force in this world. The things that could be accomplished if the church were unified all the time. Unity in the church. Matter of fact, Christ prayed in John 17 just before he went to the cross. Father, I pray that they'll always be unified. That they'll all be one, even as you and I are one. May they be one. In so many ways, the church fails. And here's why the church fails. 
Because individual Christians fail to walk worthy because they have discounted one or more of these five attributes. The first one, all lowliness. There's no exception to the lowliness. You see, you have to have faith that Christ is the head of his church and that he will do what he has to do. Just rely on Christ. All lowliness. I defer. What color is the carpet going to be? I told you the story, true story. W.A. Criswell. About the color of a carpet another time, about where the piano was to be positioned. Which side was the organ supposed to be on? Churches have split over such things. I had a church once that had fire engine red carpet and navy blue pads on the pews and brown material, brown uh, choir chairs. It was kind of interesting. And one of the dear brethren had dropped an entire tower of grape juice on one Sunday in the Lord's Supper. It looked like you had slain an animal in a sacrifice. <laughs> but, but the spot, there's nothing you can do to fire engine red carpet when Welch's grape juice has absorbed into poor old brother Oscar. He, he was kind of shaking anyway. He really was shaking after that. Nobody rushed up with a towel. They just said, well, it's just going to dry. We're in church. It dried. <laughs> and that spot, I don't know how many years that spot stayed there because we have to have a red carpet. We can't change the carpet. We fought a war over the color of this carpet. <laughs> you know, I could, listen, I have stories like that. I could, we'd be here all day. Who got, <laughs> what was it, like $4.35 a week that came out of a Dr. Pepper machine that was that was donated by the manager of the Pepsi-Cola company in, in Gadsden because he's a member of the church and he provided the drinks for it. And he allowed the church to take the money out of it, left the key to the machine and the church took the $4 and whatever, about that every week, just a little handful of coins and that would go to the counting people and the financial people. Then we had a business meeting to approve a budget. And the question came up, what happens to that $4 and something every week that comes out of that machine? Now we're looking at a, back in those days at that church, it was about a $350,000 budget. 
In the same time frame, we had voted, <laughs> we had voted without a single person against it to, to spend $300,000 to start building a building that we had to have, we'd run out of space. And so some, some bright person with a brilliant question. I stand to ask a question. What happens to the $4 and something every week? And man, it broke loose. We have to have it for the youth. Oh no, we have to give it to the cooperative program. No, we need it for local missions. Uh-uh. Look at the condition of this church. What's $4 a week going to do, even back then? I'm not going to call his name. He's dead now, as a matter of fact. But the guy who really owned the machine stood up and said, I'm going to settle this right now. I'll have some people with a truck come over tomorrow and get the machine, and I'll just take it back to Pepsi Cola Bottling Company, and we won't have to worry about that $4. And here's the point. How many people were there deferring themselves to everybody else? It starts with all lowliness. Man, that flies in the face of pride. Now you have to, you have to die for doctrine. There's a difference between standing for doctrine and then pridefully asserting yourself above everyone else to win a point and to get your way. Here are the five attributes. Number one, all lowliness. It starts there. That leads to number two, and gentleness. Gentleness. It's like a gentle breeze. It's like a calming, soothing thing that never irritates. Gentleness. Gentleness. Lowliness leads to gentleness. Gentleness is the opposite of vengeance. The Greek scholars say. Self-assertiveness, the opposite of lowliness. Vengeance is the opposite of gentleness. It happened in a way that perhaps you think it shouldn't have happened, and it doesn't have anything to do with doctrine. I really wanted sky blue for the carpet, but it's okay. Gentleness, which leads to patience. Patience. Macrophemius. Maybe yours says long-suffering. Long-tempered. You're going to have to go to the moon and back, really, before you can irritate me. That's, that's the opposite of irritableness. Number four. Bearing, one another, bearing with one another in love. Bearing the word is, and the, it, it, the word means to hold up. Holding up with one another in love. 
Now, the, of course, the love, agape. Three words for love. You've heard this, I'm sure. Eros. Eros is the love that takes. Phileo is the love that shares. Agape is the love that gives. So you hold up one another with one another in giving love. Not expecting to take it or even share it. Just to give it. No preconditions. I'm going to bear with you in love because I'm a Christian. The fifth attribute, being diligent to keep the unity. Terrain from terreo, which means to guard, keep, to guard the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The word for bond means a belt. A strap, a belt, something that holds things together. That's peace. Here is, here is the primary goal, peace. Working hard, zealously, to keep, to guard, to protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit bonds us together. It is an evil spirit that seeks to break that bond of peace. So now you know who you are positioned, how you are positioned. You're in Christ. God the Father did that. God the Father did that before anything ever was. Nothing can remove you from your position. Now I beg you, knowing that you're positioned in Christ, knowing that the Father has done this from before the foundation of the world and all of these great things have happened for you at the hand of God, I beg you, Carry the course of your life worthily. Walk worthy. Do you remember the day when God called you into his salvation? Conviction and the power, the irresistible call of God and you were drawn to Christ because of what the Father did. The call of God. Well then walk worthy of that calling that happened in your life and will never be taken away. You will never be uncalled. Aorist tense. How? Here's how. With all lowliness, lowliness and gentleness, with patience, bearing up, holding up with one another in love, being diligent to guard to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because here is why. One body 
You remember we talked about the new man earlier in Ephesians. That's the body of Christ. You are not positioned into more than one body. I speak not of the physical body, but of the body of Christ. You're in Christ. You are a member of the body. You are in Christ. There's one body. There's one spirit. You see, the body is not made by God, the body of Christ, as something that is more than one body. The Holy Spirit is only one spirit. How many Holy Spirits are there? Only one. There's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called, there's that aorist again, into one hope of your calling. How many hopes did you have when you came to be saved? Only one. He moves along. One Lord. There's only one Lord in your life if you're in Christ. There are not two Lords. How many Lords do you serve? If you are in Christ, you only serve one. One faith. How many faiths do you have? Well, you can't have but one. And that one faith is in that one Lord. You see the unity of the whole thing. We only have one faith. I don't have hope or faith in anything else but Christ. And surely you as well. One baptism. There is one baptism that joins us to the body of Christ and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God takes us, plunges us, joins us to the body of Christ. And in the greater context, it is joined with everything that is said and we're taught in 1 Corinthians about, about being baptized in the body of Christ. And so here we know Paul references this baptism that really puts us into Christ. This is something that God does in the course of our lives because he determined to from before the foundation of the world. And it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He baptizes. He's, he's not John the baptizer. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. So what is the one thing about baptism that unites us to Christ? It's the one baptism, and that is the baptism of the Spirit. I'm a Baptist, and I think, I, you know, the old saying, <laughs> I like to, I like to put my fish on the line when I, catch them. Of course, I believe in immersion and I, I can stand here and tell you what the, what, baptizo, what, what the word means and how it's applied and in the context of anything and how things go under when they're baptized. I can do all that, but I have to tell you something. I have brothers and sisters in Christ who have been sprinkled and I'm not going to doubt their, their, holy, their, their salvation. 
My daddy, I told you this story. God put him at the bedside of a man who was dying and would never get out of the hospital. Had a severe case of cancer. Someone dating known for years, an older man. Finally, daddy asked him the question, would you, would you take Christ to be your savior? And he said, Paul, I will. He was so fragile, his bone cancer, and all, he would break if he tried to raise up. And he said, I want you to baptize me. There was no way. If you lifted him out of the bed, you might crack his spinal cord and he wouldn't make it anywhere. The man at the Methodist Church, Caddy Corner, to the parking, rear parking lot of our store. Daddy knew him well. They were friends. He got that guy to go up there and baptize him. This guy couldn't be dipped into water. So he had a Methodist minister to come and baptize him. No doubt in my mind. That man is in heaven. It's not the one water baptism that saves you. It is the Holy Spirit of God who at that point in time, by the plan and purpose of God, takes a person, plunges us, joins us to the body of Christ, and enters into our lives as a down payment, an earnest payment, and to be the pledge that we're saved and will be raised in glory at the resurrection. It is the spirit who does all of this. This is what we all share. We share this baptism that was administered by the Holy Spirit into our lives. And finally, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This is the God thing in our lives. Chapters, uh, verses four, five, and six. You look closely, you will see in this passage the Father, you will see the Son, and you'll see the Holy Spirit. The great oneness of those whom God has given to His Son, the church. The church. What a shaking of this world there would be if every Christian walked worthy of his calling to which he was called. Such a force, a dynamo united in Christ. God uses us. Still we march from the cross to the glory that is coming, that is ours in Christ. And yet we fail in so many ways.
because we fail in so many of those attributes of worthy walking. Well, it's a new year. Maybe it's a good thing to take those first three verses and get on our faces before God and say, God, help me that these five characteristics will reign supreme in my life this year. God bless you. Thank you for being here. As you know, with, with COVID and the restrictions we have, we do our invitation a little different. You have three needs. Your first need is to be saved. After salvation, your second need is to be obedient to Christ and be baptized that we might both obey the Great Commission. And the third need after that is to see that your life is planted in a Bible-believing church in these last days so that standing together, being discipled in the Word of God, even though it's an age of strong delusion in Christ and standing on His Word, it's easy for us to see what's right and what's wrong. If you, would, if you have a need of a home church, and this is where you would plant your life. We're ready for that as well. We have deacons and their wives just as you exit in two rooms right there. Ready to pray with you and to help you deal with any one of those three or all three of those things. As the Lord calls you and speaks to you in your heart. So now let's stand up and be dismissed in prayer, okay? Father God in heaven, Lord. Help us to walk worthy. Understanding now the profound things that God our Father has done for us. That His Son Jesus Christ has done for us. That His Holy Spirit has done and is doing for us. Understanding these things, oh God, help us that we might walk worthy of the calling to which we were called. Dismiss us now in your love, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, thank you for being here.